The Nonprofit Happy Hour, a weekly look at Portland's nonprofits and do gooders with interviews, music, and documentaries. You're listening to the Nonprofit Happy Hour on X Ray FM, brought to you by the Media Institute for Social Change, a public interest media lab that works to inspire, empower, and engage emerging media producers. Learn more online at MediaMakingChange.org. I'm Rachel Miller-Howard. On today's show, we bring you a conversation on prison abolition and Portland police reform with Corey Lira and Anna Swanson of Critical Resistance PDX. The organization's monthly Prisoner Correspondence Night is this Monday, August 20th, from 5.30 to 8.30 in their new space at 14 Northeast Killingsworth. This is Phil Bussey. It's the Nonprofit Happy Hour on X-Ray FM. I am joined in the studio today with Corey Lira and Anna Swanson, who are two chapter members of Critical Resistance PDX. So just just right there. So so we'll get into how this is a, a chapter of a national network. Um, let's start with what problem as concisely as you can because i know it's a, it's a big and there's a lot of prongs to it but as precisely as you can the problem that critical resistance nationwide and pdx are are, are looking at um thanks thanks for asking that question um the the problem as concisely as can be stated on a national level is that the prison industrial complex exists um, and we are working to abolish it. Okay, so so that's that's a big starting point. Absolutely. So, <laughs> prisons equal problem. Uh, you guys want to abolish it, which is, I mean, that's a big shift. Yes. Um, yeah. I, I think my, my mind immediately jumps to, well, abolishment often means then there should be an alternative. Yes. Um, because it's it, it's uh, uh, in some ways the prison prisons are a symptom of a problem, not ne- and and you can't just get rid of uh, 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 some sort of policing system, as it were. Right. So we we don't talk about abolition of prisons or abolition of policing. We talk about the abolition of the prison industrial complex. Okay. So for us, that distinction is vital to our work, um, specifically in that. We know that these that policing in prisons and all different types of surveillance and harm by the state is an interconnected system related to oppression, racism, xenophobia, capitalism, patriarchy. So when we're talking about that abolition, we're specifically talking about the root causes, and that's what we're targeting. So we see policing as the vehicle in which those are enacted, for instance, or prisons. And so that's why we talk about the complex um, than just staying at prisons. So I'm going to ask another seemingly simple question, which is probably not going to have an easy answer. Um, and but just in the the trying to root us in where you are working, are we talking about uh, local or federal? So the structure of our organization is that we have four chapters in, across the country. So we have L.A., Oakland, Portland, and New York, and each chapter autonomously decides a local grassroots campaign. So that's the focus of our work is a local campaign. And so we're not a legislative 
organization. That's not the direction of our work, but we are targeting the folks in power that control these systems. So for instance, in Portland, in our work that's an anti-policing campaign, we're targeting the city council and the mayor. So we are looking at like what um, systems that are in place that are making the decisions that control the things we're trying to impact. So in this case, policing. Oh, okay, and 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 I think you've you've uh, helped clarify where we're where we are. So we're not talking about the state level of the actual operation of the prisons, or at least for the Portland chapter. Is that correct? Right. The Portland mm-hmm. chapter focuses and is an anti-policing campaign in L.A. For instance, which is you know where there's the most prisons than any uh, anywhere else in the country. Their focus is anti-prison expansion. So they're going to be looking at impacting all the different policies. Um, uh, decision makers involved that go into that on a state level, a local level, because that's what impacts that target specifically. Okay. And I'm, I'm just because, again, this is a big problem, I'm going to keep uh, trying to just define the borders here. So this started with a conference 21 years ago. 20 years ago. 20 yes. years ago yes. in yes. Berkeley. 20 year anniversary. Congrats. Year. That's a big, that's a big time frame. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me about why did the conference happen? What happened at the conference? What kind of food was served? All that stuff. <laughs> well, I wish I could tell you about the food, but yeah. I wasn't there. Um, I would have been 12 years old. It would have been um, a big deal for me at the time. But um, so 20 years ago, um, from my understanding of of talking with some of the founders and just the history of CR, um, there was a real desire to bring together people who are doing works related to um, prisons and policing and supporting survivors and all the different interli- interlinking ways um, that people have been doing work related to this for um, decades. And so um, the piece I love about this is it really was intended to be a small gathering. There wasn't a lot of hope that, you know, many people would show and thousands of people came. And so I think from that, it was really clear that there was a real hunger for more spaces to have these conversations. And so um, from that, uh, there came an energy to do it again. And there was another conference on the East Coast. And from there, those two groups really decided that there needed to be some kind of organizational structure that would carry out that um, momentum um, that really had an abolitionist vision, which was um, new at the time. There wasn't necessarily an organization pushing that specific um, perspective. And so that was what came from those two conferences. So 20 years ago, Bill Clinton's in office. Uh, uh, I mean, there's it's a, it's a different uh, federal attitude. Mm-hmm. Uh, have things gotten worse or better in terms of the prison industrial complex in the last 20 years? Uh, well, they were never good. So let's start there. Uh, <laughs> it's not a talking about like returning to a place where things were better for people. That's not in our um, our work of like going back to a golden era of our country. Um, we really come from a historical place of why policing even exists, which is in the history of slave control. And so when we're looking at like what's what's changed, um, you know, the the state and those in power have gained new strategies and different ways of controlling, caging, and killing people, and so has our strategies to push back on that. So when we look at the history, we see different types of parts of the, indust- the prison industrial complex in action. I think what we see now is, um, I-, I would say personally, a savvier and savvier state in terms of how to control people and how to 
um, rebrand the prison industrial complex. So for instance, um, making us feel like things are safer by having police cameras or releasing people and I and and but still controlling them with ankle bracelets, for instance. So those things may seem like they're better for people, but in the end, they're just increasing the amount of state control or control in general of people's lives um, or give us a sense of complacency that some body camera is going to actually reduce um, the amount of violence that police do in our to our community. So I would say things have changed, but it's not a conversation about like what was better. Corey Lira is a chapter member with Critical Resistance PDX, as well as Anna Swanson, who both join us in the studio today. And, and, and Corey, you were talking about there's really no golden era to go back to, which, which is an interesting predicament in how do you map where to go forward? Are there models that you can point to, uh, whether with policing or with prisons, that do work that 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 are because I I understand that there's a lot of things that don't work but mm -hmm. what does work does that exist anywhere mm -hmm. yeah I'll take this and then I would love to make sure Anna gets some time too because um, I know I'm a talker but um, I the way I look at this question when I hear it is two things one um, I don't think we have to know the perfect uh, model alternative to know that something's wrong and needs to be fixed. Um, and I don't mean fix the system. I mean, in terms of like create an alternative that actually um, gives us secure communities and um, addresses what we need, which is our basic needs met. Um, so in terms of the, the alternative that we build towards, I mean, we talk about abolition as both a a goal and a strategy so we know that that means what we practice and what we're aiming for and so when we look at what we're aiming for we're looking at alternative models of addressing harm in our communities and we've seen that in practice um, for decades as well it's just that we don't amplify those um, those models so people are aware of them so there are for instance communities that have figured out ways to um, address uh, interpersonal violence by having groups that can be called instead of the police to come in and support um, people around gender violence to be able to receive both the support to move out of that system and hold the person accountable in ways that don't use a punitive carceral system. Um, there's other models of like moms in neighborhoods that are addressing um, gang violence by um, being able to build meals for their community and have reduced gang violence entirely through simply addressing basic needs. So what we know is that communities have always had what they needed to be able to take care of themselves. The state wants us to believe that we don't. And so it's not about like creating brand new models when we've had, we absolutely have everything that we need. It's just being able to understand that our self-determination allows us to get there. And that's a bit of unlearning for us all to be able to really build with each other. And Anna, you wanted to add to that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think um, it's important really to note, too, that to your question, um, there are really like no models of policing or prisons that we can look to for moving forward. Like Corey was saying, we really have to look outside of that. Um, and I would also want to emphasize that we don't think of um, prisons or policing as a system that is broken and needs to be fixed. In fact, it's something that has always been working the way that it's been intended to, um, as Corey was talking about, with its origins in slave patrols and controlling and sort of caging our communities and keeping them in line. 
How about let's take a quick music break. You guys brought in a song selection. Yeah, I believe we're going with uh, which, which side, side are you on, on by Rebel Diaz. Yeah. Wow, that was almost in harmony. <laughs> that was that was truly amazing. Um, let's take a listen, and we'll be right back. This is the Nonprofit Happy Hour on X Ray FM. See, I gotta draw a line, I can't take it no more If you ain't down with revolution, what you waiting for? Making money for suckers and not communities poor Ripping flags off of coffins, man, this ain't our war Colonized and terrorized by the world's biggest killers The U.S. government, the biggest weapon and drug dealers Filling prisons with children, incarcerating the future MySpace and Facebook got us stuck on computers Stuck on stupid bumping music that's abusive to the shorties And the nonsense that you're spitting, they just listen and absorbing I've been dormant, I've been working, I'm a Giant, I'm ready. I'm with the Apple in Oaxaca and we hold the machetes. I rock hard like Palestinian children holding slingshots. I'm with every single kid that's down for hip hop, for the culture, the life, what it really stands for. This music is resistance, it's the voice of the poor. I'm on the side of the workers, the teachers, the lunch ladies. On the streets with brown mommies raising our brown babies. I'm with youth organized, cleaning up the Bronx River. I'm like I miss Galante when I stand and deliver. I'm with Evo Morales, man, he running Bolivia. Distribute of the land so we can all live bigger I'm with Hugo and Fidel, Grandmaster and Melly Mel I'm with the Panthers up in Queens, Justice for Sean Bell I'm with Camacho Negron, I'm with Ojeda Rios Freedom for Oscar Roque, it's time to get in the pill I'm with blue Jamal, I'm with Asada Shakur I'm with the compas in the mall, can he get in a penny more? Telling the truth, exposing the lies Think about the dead soldiers when you're driving your ride And people die for the oil, and daddy pushes revenge I'm with the widows, the children, and the lonely best friends I'm for families, staying together as one I'm not for the raids and the deportations I'm with Victor Toro and the MIR So watch out for them snitches in their unmarked car And for Lil Saulito, we gon' fight for your moms So we gon' shout her out twice in one soul I'm for 12 million workers and El Vida I'm on four world without borders and a better tomorrow.
This is Phil Bussey on the Nonprofit Happy Hour on X-Ray FM. I'm joined in the studio today with two chapter members from Critical Resistance PDX, Corey Lira and Anna Swanson. I want to talk about why are why are each of you involved in this organization? What what brought you to the organization? Yeah, I can I can take that one um, first. Um, so I think ever since I discovered abolition as a possibility for thinking about the future, there's never been a question in my mind about that being the direction that we need to go in. And critical resistance has really um, spoken to me as a filmmaker and a media maker as a, a way to connect my art with my activism. And so I've really found like a home in the chapter to do that kind of work um, and also grow my capacity as an organizer um, around these ways of sort of using media and storytelling and the way that we talk about our work to help other people envision a future in which it's possible to have these ways of addressing harm and having accountability that aren't carceral or punitive. Yeah, for me, um, I think I could say a lot about why I joined. I think simply for me, um, you know, I arrived out of at it kind of out of happenstance. I've been with the chapter since its inception in uh, 2013, and I didn't realize to the extent of what abolition was or what it looked like through this work. And what I found when I joined was that um, it finally brought together all these pieces of the organizing I'd been doing my whole life around like gender violence, immigration, um, youth activism, the school to prison pipeline. I used to be a high school teacher, so I saw that in play um, myself. And so finding an organization and um, an organization like this that really connected all those pieces around that industrial complex and how we see that play out in all manners of systems allowed me to have such clarity about like what direction to take next and 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 also as uh, a survivor of multiple different kinds of violence and as a loved one of multiple people in my life and family in prison it just made sense and I think that's that's the thing that um, is so powerful for me about this work is that it really flips the head on what's common sense about safety and liberation. And I think once once you give yourself that time to really look at what that means, it becomes really crystal clear that there's no way to invest in the system or continue to invest in the systems we have if we really want safety and liberation for our communities. So rubber hit the road with uh, local projects, and, and one of those is uh, Care Not Cops. Um, let's talk specifically about Portland and, and Portland policing and, and where uh, Critical Resistance PDX is, is trying to find some pressure points. Yeah, so Care Not Cops is our campaign. We, as Corey mentioned, we um, organize around grassroots campaigns in each of our chapter cities and are really responsive to the local environment and how we see the prison industrial complex manifesting in that environment um, because it is complex and it sort of adapts and um, holds on in really unique and insidious ways. So here in Portland, um, for I think a couple of years between 2015 and 2017, um, there were a series of listening sessions and forums with the community to really find out um, what sort of what specific harms from policing were the most um, affecting the community the most? And and who was hosting the listening sessions? That we were. Okay. Yeah, okay. I was yeah. one of the folks involved at that time. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so they were large gatherings about different elements of policing in our community to really hear from folks like what, like for instance, what around like um, 
the policing of migrant communities was really happening in our community. Okay, mm-hmm. and 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 this was to hear from the community, or were were any of the uh, elected officials uh, attending, or was the goal to take notes, take information, and present it? What what was the what's been the dividend of those meetings? Yeah, so the goal at the time was really to have an open space for all, and so it wasn't necessarily like let's invite our elected leaders to hear from them as much as. Um, looking at who often isn't heard in our communities about the state of policing here. And so it was an open forum around that. Anyone could have come. Um, and the the goal there was really to gather information for us to make the smartest move around where to target our anti-policing campaign in Portland. So from that, we were able to identify that the overarching um, themes that came out of it were tied to health and the ways in which health impacts um, the most targeted communities in Portland. So black and brown folks, houseless folks, folks that experience extreme states around mental wellness and um, other communities. And so that's how we were able to shift those conversations um, and what we learned from them into an action plan for our campaign. Talk to me about the action plan. Yeah, so our, our one of our primary targets with this campaign is to decouple uh, what we see as a mental health crisis, crisis I put in quotes, um, it's first hard response. To see on the air. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, to, to decouple the way that we respond to what we perceive as a mental health crisis from policing, because we know that police aren't going to provide safety or care in a situation where someone might need help and are not going to meet our needs in, in that sense. And to really then um, sort of flip flip how we're thinking about what is safety and what is care and to really um, put pressure on the fact that police are never going to provide that for our communities. Mm-hmm. And that's based on the history of Portland too. So I, I think it's important to note that Portland has an extensive history of known, and I say that because there's so many stories that aren't known, of um, young folks, um, specifically young black men, calling um, the police for crisis support on themselves and ending up shot and killed by the police. And so, um, you know, I think it's important to name that real history and not just like talk about the theory of like why this is important, but this is an active issue around like people dying, trying to receive mental health care in our community. And so we absolutely believe that police can never be mental health care providers and that folks deserve to have what they self-determine are their needs around mental wellness instead. I mean, so, so you guys are trying to change something very fundamental. I mean, it's 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 ingrained in people. You call 911. Mm-hmm. So uh, is there a scenario that you can talk me to through somebody is suffering or somebody their, their neighbor is or somebody in their home is, you know, the, and the, the instinct is, is so ingrained to call 911 for help. What mm-hmm. what what would you hope that would pop up into people's brains instead? Yeah, I mean, I think there are um, models already existing where this is happening or as close to as um, what we would envision. So, you know, there's programs where there's an alternative number you can call and folks who are trained to de-escalate these types of situations can arrive and assess and support and see if their intervention is the right thing at that moment. Um, And that's been very effective. Um, And... You know, I think when you mentioned neighbors, it just made me think about how, like, for me, what's so critical around this conversation is that we really do treat our neighbors and our communities different than strangers. Right. So if if 
you know, your brother or my brother were experiencing some kind of extreme state, I'm going to try to find all kinds of resources for that person before I might bring in um, something, someone who's trained to neutralize a threat. And so I think what we want folks to do is think about what they can do instead, instead of bringing in someone who is trained to only neutralize a threat. And that's both knowing how, like knowing de-escalation skills, knowing what kind of resources exist, and thinking about what we need to actually address what we're trying to solve and putting the time and energy into building that. And so uh, how much how much of this uh, is, is trying to work with uh, Mayor Ted Wheeler or with city council members i mean because ultimately i mean at the portland the portland level uh you know, the, the the city council is overseeing the police bureau um and and so administrative changes can come there uh, are you working with them are are they are they part of the problem or are they part of the solution uh 60 40 percent of that <laughs> i mean how, how do you assess that I would love for them to be part of the solution. Um, I think that we have made some asks, um, and if Ted Wheeler is listening and would like to uh, defund the police, that would be a great way to uh, to move the campaign forward and be a huge part of the solution. Mm -hmm. um, we haven't received that kind of collaboration mm -hmm. from the city council, but we are um, actively targeting the city budget and the way that resources are allocated to policing um, and and asking that there be a freeze in the increase of the police budget and in hires and to have those resources reallocated to the kinds of um, like n ways of meeting needs and addressing sort of root causes that are so, so needed in Portland. If you think about the housing crisis, houselessness, like needs around health and, and mental health care there's so much money in the budget for policing that if we could just shift that and mm -hmm. really provide the resources that we need, we wouldn't even need the police. Right. And to paint the picture for you briefly here is that we just finished a mobilization around the city budget this spring. And so we did go to the city council um, budget forums to ask for those specific acts around um, a hiring freeze. and and no more budget increases for the um, police budget. And so I think two things to, of note there are that um, we were able to um, not only mobilize, but really shift the conversation in Portland around what we need. And so um, nearly every organization that was there asking for funding um, took on our talking points and was asking for their funding to come from the Portland police budget. And so, um, you know, we take that as a win that we've been able to shift the conversation around what the community actually wants and needs. And then secondly, um, we also considered a win that um, Wheeler was proposing a 12.7, I believe, um, million dollar increase to the already $2.7 million police budget and, um, and the hiring of 93 new officers um, and we were able to ensure that only 6 million was approved and 58 new officers. So um, of course we would love to have none of that, right? But we will, we take it as a win that there was only half as much um, and we hope that that means that Wheeler is listening and that there's some recognition that the community is saying no. And, and because we're talking politics, any, any thoughts on the city council race? There is one candidate that certainly has a background in, in talking about 
community development and and uh, certainly uh, policing issues? Yeah, we don't take any stance on um, officials, and so we won't comment on that. Um, but we certainly hope that whoever's on the council um, is listening to the community. And finally, uh, monthly meetings, is that how people can uh, best, best get involved? Yeah, so we have every third Monday night um, a correspondence and volunteer night where we write letters and do political education with about 300 to 400 folks on the inside, so folks incarcerated in prisons in Oregon and Washington. Um, and that is definitely the best way for folks to get plugged in. Um, that's from 530 to 830 every third Monday night at the 14 Northeast Killingsworth space that awaits a new name. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys for both doing uh, such ambitious work. Uh, this is this is not a small problem, and, and, and uh, you guys are trying to make big, big changes. So thank you for doing that, and thank you for coming in today. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. The nonprofit happy hour is made possible by Beneficial State Bank, a certified B Corp that holds to a triple bottom line of social justice, environmental well-being, and economic sustainability. If your organization or business is interested in underwriting our show, please email phil at mediamakingchange.org. The nonprofit happy hour is a production of the Media Institute for Social Change and KXRY Radio, X-Ray FM. Our host is Phil Bussey, our producer is me, Rachel Miller-Howard. Archives of past shows can be found on our SoundCloud page. Questions, comments, or ideas about the show can be sent to info at mediamakingchange.org. Thanks for tuning in.